Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. Cool. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, morning. So uh, we're back into that fun book of Joshua again. This is cool. Hey, um, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will... How many of you have never heard that before? Everyone's heard that, right? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. What a load of rubbish. (laughs) So when I was in primary school, um, and I don't know if you've worked it out yet, but there are some words that rhyme with the name grew. And there was a cohort of young people in primary school who had discovered what words would rhyme with grew. And they would taunt me on a daily basis. That was their purpose. They would taunt me and call me names. And I want to tell you, I'd rather have my arm broken with a stick than to have someone call me a name because words have the power, don't they? They sit in your soul and you carry them for life. They hurt. They hurt. And so whenever I went to school, I would put my guard up. Can we have the PowerPoint up, please, Aaron? I would put my guard up. Sometimes when I put my guard up, it meant that I was going to fight someone. Or I'd put my guard up and I would just keep my distance from people because I didn't want to be hurt by the name calling. So I put my guard up. Another thing that kind of, I have what I'd call a healthy fear of heights. That's a positive way of putting it, isn't it? A healthy fear of heights. And, um, you know, I don't mind flying, but when it comes to cliffs or high buildings or lifts that have got glass on the outside, no thank you. What happens to me is my feet start to tingle. Uh, I don't know if anyone else experiences that, but my feet tingle. And um, so uh, quite a few years ago, I was in the Gold Coast and I was uh, traveling with a couple of guys and we stayed in this apartment building on the Gold Coast on the ninth floor. And off the lounge was a little deck. Now it was evening and I thought I'd venture out and have a look at the lights. If that's the edge of the deck over there, I stood back here and I leaned over like this and touched the railing and the railing was loose. That didn't help the tingling feeling in my feet at all. But my mate thought it'd be a good idea to come up behind, you know where I'm going, and grab me and go, you don't do that to someone who has a healthy fear of heights. You don't do that. I'm not going to tell you. I value my role here in the church. But whenever I'm near something that's tall, like a cliff or a building like that, I put my guard up to protect myself from people who would seek to think it's a good time to freak me out in that space. I put my guard up. Essentially, you know, as we look at Joshua today, this is where the Israelites are at. Now, if we recount the story a little bit from from last week, we, we know that the Israelites have, have, have finally won the battle of Ai. 
And we know the journey, you know, from the beginning there that they tried the first time. They failed because they had sinned. When they confessed and dealt with their sin, God's anger um, rescinded. And then um, they followed God's plan and they won the battle of Ai. They've gone into the valley and in the valley they've worshipped God. And Joshua has taken all the law that Moses wrote down in stone and he's, he's rewritten it. And he's recounted it to the Israelites. And in that space, as they're worshiping God, they recommit themselves back to God again. It's a, it must have been a powerful scene to see a nation of people worshiping together. It's nothing like what we experience here. This is just a few of us, right? But you get a nation worshiping God, there's something unbelievable in that space. And then sitting under the word of God, they come to that place of recommitment. We follow the same sort of pattern in church, don't we? We, we worship, we sit under the word, and we come to a, a place of maybe recommitment or whatever it is that God's doing in our lives. But in the story we find today that the Israelites let their guard down. You see, AI wasn't the final battle. There's more cities to conquer. There's more battles to fight to, to get to the promised land. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? Does life feel like that? You, 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 you win a battle just to find that in your next step you walk into another one and then another one. You know, if someone uh, preached the gospel to you and you came to faith under the gospel that said, when you come to Jesus, everything's going to be sweet and rosy. You got sold a lie. Because we live in this life, we're human, we live in a broken world, and we will face battle after battle after battle. One victory doesn't win the war. You know, the devil is not excited about the prospect of us having victory in our lives. It was true for the Israelites, and it's true for us today. Let me remind you of the battle that we're in. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. You'll be all be able to requote this one with me, but here we go. For we do not wrestle against flesh and, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now let's not get it wrong, friends. Our enemy's name is the devil. And his name reveals his character. The word means slanderer or accuser. And he's in the business of lying to us. Yeah? He's in the business of slandering us, calling us names, destroying us, and accusing God's people of all sorts of wretched things. And he's busy doing his job. He's a shrewd enemy. And we must be aware of the enemy's strategy. We must recognize when he seeks to lead us astray with deceptive and cunning action. We must keep our guard up. We must keep our guard up. Something that Israel failed to do. So Joshua chapter 9 begins with the Canaanite, Canaanites from the land of Canaanite. That was a really weird way of saying it, by the way. The kings of the Canaanite lands. Did that sound better? Cool. They gathered together for war against Israel. 
They'd heard about the Israelites from Egypt. They'd heard about the battles of Jericho and Ai. And now they've gathered together to battle against the Israelites. There's a couple of really interesting facts in the Bible that kind of set this up. I don't know if you remember the story in Genesis of Noah and his family. Um, we all know about the ark, but the ark has come to rest. And now they've left the ark and they've come back onto the land. And Noah plants a vineyard, grows some grapes. And when they're ripe, he picks them and he makes wine. And then he does the most unwise thing. He drinks too much of the wine and gets drunk. And he's laying naked in his tent. His son Ham goes into the tent and sees his father naked and immediately leaves. It's a detestable thing to see your father naked. So he leaves and he gets his brothers and he says, our father is naked. And so the brothers grab a cloak or blanket and they walk backwards so that they don't see their father and they cover the father up. But when Noah comes to or wakes up the next day, whenever it was, he places a curse on Ham's son, Canaan, which is Noah's grandson. And Canaan is the father of the Canaanites. It's very interesting. You can make what you want of that. You can study that if you want, but there's something interesting happening there. In Exodus and Deuteronomy, Moses mentions a list of Canaanite cities that are under the judgment of God. The list in Joshua is the same list. And then there's a couple of really interesting points about this story that you'll pick up. If you've read Joshua 9, you, you may have read these and thought, I wonder what's going on there. Deuteronomy 20 says that cities that are far away from Israel and seek peace with Israel, that's the, the key point. If they seek peace with Israel, they are to be spared from the sword. So any cities that are far away seeking peace, spared the sword. Deuteronomy also says that any foreigners that join Israel are to chop wood and to haul water for the temple. Both of these things are in the story in Joshua chapter 9. So here we are, the Canaanite kings, they've gathered, they're ready to go to battle. However, one of the nations, the inhabitants of Gibeon, they decide not to fight. When reading their story, Actually, in Joshua chapter 9, you kind of get the sense that the inhabitants of Gibeon have got this real healthy fear of God. Something's going on. And they demonstrated their fear of God through their unwillingness to fight Israel. And so they come up with an alternative plan, which would be better than attempting to fight Israel off. The theme running through chapter 9 is one of God's mercy. We don't see God speaking in Joshua chapter 9, but we see the people of Israel not seeking God's counsel again after they've just recommitted themselves. However, the people of Gideon are not destroyed. Instead, they're given a place of service in God's tabernacle. This is fascinating because as you read the Old Testament further on, you see that God had a purpose for the people from Gibeon. There's something really special going on here. It's an indication of, of the mercy of God for people, actually, that were marked out for destruction. 
Isn't that interesting? How many people do we on a maybe daily or weekly basis judge? And we look at them and we go, wow, how evil are they? How bad are they? We listen to the news and we think it's bad. But you know what's interesting here? These people are marked out for destruction, but we're going to see God's mercy and grace shown to these people. You know, 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's heartbeat for this world is that everybody would come to faith in Christ. We should be very careful to declare judgment on people who God is wanting to come to faith. We should be really careful about that. So let's look at the story a bit further. Let me just grab a clicker. So Joshua chapter 9, if you've got your Bible. Oh, come on. Thanks, Aaron. A cunning plan. Some of you might know that picture. Black adder. Got a plan so cunning that if you put a tail on it, and it would be a weasel or something, wouldn't it? Something like that. There you go. A cunning deception, verses, Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 to 6. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with, and here it comes, this is very clever, worn out sacks, old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. And then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Can you hear? Can you hear that now? If we come, anyone who wants to seek peace with Israel from a distant city, spare them from the sword. Do you think these guys knew what was going on? So they've disguised themselves what a great deception this is. Cunning it is. So we've come from a distant country, they said. Make a treaty with us. Wow. Well, the other kings are forming an alliance and they're ready to get in and fight. The Gibeonites developed a solo plan consisting of old clothes, old wineskins, and moldy bread. Very, very clever. With these items, they sought to convince Joshua that they were from a faraway city and had been led to Israel because of the great things they'd heard of Israel's God. And so Joshua was faced with a tension because God had told Joshua not to make an alliance with anyone. They were not to align themselves with those who were not specifically Israelites. See how deceptive the enemy is here? See how deceptive the devil can be? He can use old clothes. He can use moldy bread to bring about compromise, not just for Israel, but even in our own lives. Satan is crafty. If you're not careful, he'll sneak up on you. And it'll be subtle. It could be just a piece of bread. <laughs> could be a piece of clothing, whatever it is. He uses subtle ways to draw us from the things that God has for us in our lives. He's good at getting us to compromise. 
He tempts us predominantly in our weaknesses to keep us in the little corner of our lives that is just for us. You know that little corner that you hide away in? That's my space. That's my space. And the enemy can hold you there. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, it says this, and this is a warning to us all. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And notice that it's like a roaring lion. It's not a roaring lion. He's imitating a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. When you think that you're by yourself and you think that you're the only one facing this temptation and, and, and it's difficult, you're not. There are others facing the same thing. And this is why it's good to be together. We must be alert to the enemy's tricks. We must keep our guards There's a cunning plan come to Israel. The Gibeonites have come and are deceiving them. It's a cunning plan. Thanks, Aaron. And then what happens with the Israelites? There's a failure to consult. In verses 14 and 15, the men of Israel, they sampled the provisions. I mean, who wants to eat moldy bread? They were idiots. But they didn't inquire of the Lord. Hear that? The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of God. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. Joshua did not seek the counsel of God and thus failed to see the truth. That's even interesting in itself. Without the counsel of God, Without the word of God, we fail to see maybe what the truth is in front of us. It seems to be an obvious submission, but how easily we fall into the same trap that Joshua does. The men of Israel, I think they remind us of how self-reliance leads us to bad decisions. I was um, at a friend's funeral yesterday. Um, A friend that I did my apprenticeship with as a golf pro um, he was 64. He had a massive heart attack and just dropped dead. And um, so we're at the funeral yesterday, and I was catching up with a whole bunch of um, other golf pros because the place was packed with golf pros. Um, we did a guard of honor with golf clubs. It was something quite special. Um, but I caught up with one, one guy who, um, when I was involved with Christian sports in New Zealand, uh, we were running a golf section for Christian Sport, and um, he was one of the on-fire Christians that was a part of that journey with me. Um, he was a part of a church, um, and they were heavily involved in that. And um, they got hurt in the church. Um, and so they haven't been back for something like nearly 20-something years now. And I hadn't seen him for a long time, obviously. Um, but I caught up with him, and he said, you know, well, we still tow the line was how he put it. We still tow the line, um, but we just don't go to church anymore. Um, and then he turned to um, another guy who's actually been, another golf pro who's been um, watching some of the stuff. He talked to me about stuff that he's been watching and stuff that we'd been doing and stuff that's happening at Life Church. And he turned to, um, this, this guy turned to this guy and um, he said, how are you doing? You go to church, don't you? He said, oh no, I'm a backslider. And I thought, wow, 
You know, when we, when we try to do this on our own, when, it, when we want to be self-reliant in our journey of faith, here's the warning, you will slide. <laughs> you need each other. We need each other. We absolutely do. We cannot do this alone. And some might say, oh, the church is, you know, it's a man-made institution. Well, to some degree, there's some of that. But hey, look, Jesus, he put the church in place. He came for the church. Gathering is a part of what God's people do. It's what we do. It's how we stay strong together in the faith. So the Israelites trusted in their own ability. They examined the bread instead of entrusting themselves to God. And it resulted in this covenant relationship which went against the law of God. Why? Because these people weren't from a distant land. They were right next door. And they'd been told to wipe out the nations in this land. And so this was against God's law. There's a favorite proverb of my wife, Sarah, who's homesick today. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the with all your heart. Lean not on your own, but all your ways acknowledge him. And he's the one who directs your paths. Yes? Next slide, please, Aaron. So here's some things I want you to understand. God's counsel is sovereign. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? Why? Because he is Lord. There is one God, creator God. He's Israel's God and he's our God. He's our God and He's sovereign. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. God's counsel is eternal. Psalm 33, 11, But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. God has the helicopter view of life that we don't have. He knows where it began and He knows where it's going. And He knows what's happening in the middle. And his plans are not going to change. He's the one who brings everything together. He's the one in whom we can trust. Thank you for that word this morning. We can trust him. God's counsel is also reliable. Psalm 73, 24. You guide me with your counsel, says the psalmist, leading me to a glorious destiny. Ooh, do you like that? You could put it this way. God, I come to you for counsel. Guide me with your counsel, Lord, and lead me into the glorious destiny you have for my life. We could put it that way. God is our counselor, and he's great at it. God's word stands no matter what. He is faithful and true. Seeking wise counsel, yes, can come from other people, but never forget to look to God first. Because in doing this, you're keeping your guard up. 
keeping your guard up. And so here we have the Israelites. They've been duped by the, by the Gibeonites. They've been fooled. They didn't counsel God, and that's why they've gone into this foolish space. They've made an alliance with a nation that's right next door. And then we have this, thank you, Aaron, we have a graceful gesture. Verse 26, so Joshua saved them from the the Israelites, and they did not kill them. Even after they found out who they were, it took three days, but when they found out who they were, The Israelites were angry. They wanted to do something about it. But Joshua and the leaders had made an oath. And you can't break an oath when you've made an oath before God. And so he saves them. You know what? I think the leaders of Israel model what a covenant commitment should look like. There was a time in history not that long ago when your word was your word. Your word was your bond. And if you said you were going to be somewhere, you were there. If you said you were going to do something, you did it. Things have changed a little bit today, haven't they? I could no longer actually take, sometimes, it depends who you are, but no longer take people at their word. So many times they said or promised something and it's never happened. And maybe I've done that to people at times too. Maybe that's just because I've got too busy. But basically, your word is your word. Recognizing that breaking the covenant would invite God's wrath, they kept their word and they swore an oath to the Gibeonites. So it's by the grace of God, really, that the Gibeonites were made woodcutters and woodcarriers for the rest of their days and not destroyed as they should have been. You know what? We must be people who treat others with mercy. The story of Joshua reminds us of the principle that God, what what people intend for evil, is often used by God for good. As you continue to read the word of God, and I said this before, you will see what happened to the Gibeonites and how they became instrumental in the life of temple worship. In this case, God's mercy is magnified. And the people of Gibeon find a place of service right next door to the house of God. Isn't it beautiful? This is the house of God when we gather, isn't it? God manifests himself here on a Sunday. That's what we pray for. His presence is here. So anyone can come. They can come into this place. Come as you are. And meet the God of heaven and earth. We should look for such evidence of grace in the lives of others around us. God is a merciful God. And we should learn to be merciful too. We should um, grow in spotting the baby steps of new believers. And encouraging them in their faith. Especially the next generation. Even when we think they've made stupid and dumb decisions. But didn't you when you were young? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We were all a bit crazy when we were younger, I think. 
You know, the young generation need to be encouraged, not stomped on. They need to be lifted and elevated in the kingdom of God, not pushed down and held back. They have things to say that we need to hear. Before pronouncing a judgment in any matter, we should seek God's wisdom, yeah? And not go it alone like the leaders of Israel in Joshua chapter 9. And this way, we'd be keeping our guard up. God, through his word, has given us the power to defeat the destructive enemy, the devil. We can defeat him. The enemy's not a lion. He just imitates. He's seeking those who are terrified by his roar. And those who are unprepared, be prepared because the enemy will come. But you can chase him away. Always remember when I was a young boy and my mum was into spiritualism, and um, that's basically what I knew growing up, as my mum would hold seances and all sorts of funny things and call on all sorts of dead spirits and so on. I always remember in my room at night, and I've probably mentioned this once before, but I mention it again. I'd, I would lie in my bed at night as a young boy and, and, and sense the presence of other things in my room. And um, I would always say, and I don't know why, but I think my mum told me to do this, um, go away in the name of Jesus, and they would go. I would instantly feel a difference in the room. Um, I woke one morning and saw an image, which, which, I, which I would say now actually was, was a demon, I saw this image standing beside my bed, and it absolutely freaked me out. I wasn't prepared, and I ran, actually. I ran to my mum, who really didn't have advice around that. She gave me some weird explanation of what that might be. But now, if I was in that situation, I would say, be gone in the name of Jesus, because there's a power being given to us that can expel the enemy. And you can use that power. You need to stand on the word of God and not live in fear. Be strong in the Lord and rest in the power of his might. And this way, you will keep your guard up. So how does all of this make sense? It makes sense this way. It only makes sense if you're walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It only makes sense if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life and have surrendered your life to his lordship, allowing him to be a master over your life. Accepting actually that he was the one who actually paid the penalty for all of the sin that I carry in my life. He paid it. And has given me a way to have a relationship with God the Father. Because sin cannot stand before God. And so he gives me the way out. And so today, if, if you don't have a relationship, if there's anyone here who's sitting on the fence of that relationship with Jesus, there's an opportunity today to give your life to Christ. Simply by saying, Lord, I accept you into my life as my Lord and Savior. And I surrender my life into your hands. And in that way, you're trusting God to direct your life and to direct your paths. And so there's an opportunity for that today. And at the end of the service, I give you the opportunity to come forward and have a conversation. I will sit on the step here. 
and you can come and sit next to me and we'll just have a chat. It'll be nice and easy and it'll be fun. So I lay that out there today because none of this makes sense without Christ. So let's pray together, shall we? Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.